Welcome to Ask Cadence, everybody. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm sitting here with Jay Christensen. Hello, Jay. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. (laughs) And Rod Sharman. I'm not going to go down the Irish (laughs) road, Pete. (laughs) Oh, too close, too close. Uh, We are here continuing our discussion on 19 techniques for managing people who do not report to you. And today uh, today we're getting into the nitty-gritty. We are going to be talking about... Well, we're going to be talking about tasks. Uh, Rod, how are we going to talk about tasks? <laughs> oh, this and means I dare we're you actually to make going this, to do work. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, exactly. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, you will often see is uh, teams get very enthusiastic about putting their um, tasks together on the work breakdown structure. Uh, but sometimes they're done in what, what I would call very nebulous ways. There, there's a degree of vagueness about the task, and it can be a very critical task. So there's, a, and one of the reasons this occurs is when the first pass of creating the work breakdown structure, you're going to be looking to the subject matter expert to make the first pass on what those tasks are going to be, very logically. One of the things that often happens is that as a subject matter expert, um, they're carrying a lot of the knowledge about the work in their mind. It's in their head, but actually putting it down on paper um, is something that there's sometimes reluctance to do in a very clear way. So one um, tip I always give people is as you start writing these tasks down, Write it down, not as a task list for yourself, but make the assumption you're writing the list for somebody who's far less experienced than you, and therefore you have to give them more details. Now, those may sound like good words, but it doesn't always happen. And quite frequently, you're still going to get those vague sort of tasks uh, uh, being described, and they are critical. So one of the things to do is to take those tasks and now break them down into subtasks because the subtask is going to start forcing the detail. Now, whether you massage those subtasks to tasks is another issue, but the main thing is you're getting better definition of what those those tasks are, and the lower you go down, the more detail you're going to be getting. Now, we also talk about, as a general guideline, that the amount of work involved in a given task should not exceed uh, three weeks. So sometimes another rationale for breaking that work down is the fact that they are so critical, we need to have better control. When we get a lower level of granularity, maybe 10 days work or five days work, then you're going to have better control and be able to manage it. And the individuals will also be able to manage their own time and recognize the work that's got to be done. Now with critical tasks, one of the most important things is to document assumptions. Assumptions are being made all the time through planning. Whether you're building a house and everything should be known and everything should be perfect, or whether you're building a new product which is pushing the edge of technology and you don't know what the actual work is going to be until you've done some experimentation or initial work, assumptions are being made. So what you are doing is actually building a plan which is based on assumptions. What you have to do is document those assumptions. And then as you progress through the project, 
managing your assumptions will help you to keep focus on those tasks that are most critical and also enable you to be proactive to situations by validating how strong those assumptions are as you progress through the project. Can we take just a, just a, a parenthetical break and, and give me some examples of, of what an assumption would look like on a critical task? I think that, that seems to be, in my experience, an area where there's some, there's some gray area in defining a quality assumption. What are things that you can assume and things that are best left unassumed? Right. <laughs> uh, for example, um, uh, one assumption that is a good power assumption is that we have engineers available for one week starting with this calendar date, ending with this calendar date, and that they have 15 hours each to spend on this activity during that period of time. So the, what makes an assumption strong and useful is that it has numbers in it. Or, or percentages, but more preferably numbers, because you can change the number and change the length of an activity. You can check the number to see if it's uh, trending true or false, and if not, then we have an early warning of a schedule problem. The numbers make them measurable. Well, that is the key. It makes it measurable, and as, as uh, Jay said, and I absolutely concur with him, if we simply state, made the statement that the assumption is those five engineers will be available when needed, that's what we consider to be a bad assumption. Um, you can keep checking with the manager and you'll, they'll say, yeah, they'll be available, they'll be available. Until you need them. Until you need them, you've yeah. got it. Um, whereas, as Jay has said, if you've got a specific date, specific amount of time, you can keep checking with that functional manager on those specifics. Okay. And that is being proactive and not reactive. Very helpful. Thank you. Uh, I, Jay, I feel like I had cut you off with no, that initial uh, The other thing that, um, let's kind of back up for a second, yeah. uh, the 21 days is um, really a, just a tiny bit arbitrary, but there's anecdotal evidence that says if an activity is longer than 21 days, people will likely put off working on it until there isn't time remaining to do the remaining work. So that's where the uh, 21 days came from. Now for some high-risk tasks or critical tasks that Rod talked about a minute ago, uh, you can crank that down to either 10 days or 5 days or 7 days. Some other figure that gives you more control over an activity. And uh, to uh, expand on Rod's point also, when you're breaking into subtasks, if you can identify subtasks, then you can look for problems, uh, more clearly, you can see risks more clearly, you can distribute work more evenly among the team, assuming they have the skills to do the work. There's lots of advantages to going to lower levels of detail. Um, question, well, well, excuse me, sorry. I'm sorry, I just have a question for you related to that. And this goes back to our, our thesis of managing people who don't directly report to you, mm -hmm. i.e. your team members. How do you coach your team members to, particularly your subject matter experts, to gauge their task durations effectively in this context when you don't have explicit managerial or administrative authority? Well, the, one of the things you, you're, you're focused on there is really you don't, you're going to be talking to them about the benefits of helping them to self-manage. In, in most worlds today, the, the, the reality is in a professional environment that people are going to be left to their own devices to manage their own time. And that's where you get the conflict. That's nice, but 
then they get the conflict and the manager keeps coming around to them. So it helps them manage themselves and their own time in alignment with expectations of their own functional manager. So when functional manager says, I've got this extra work for you, they have some specific facts to talk back to the functional manager about, apart from just saying, well, I've got this big task I'm working on for Jay. Oh, well, Jay can wait. When's it going to be done by? Oh, it's, you've got months yet. Don't worry about it. You can come to back to it later. So this then gives the person the ability to say, well, it may be months to do all of it, but these are all the pieces, the subtasks that I have to do, and this one is due by this date, etc., etc. And that brings me to another point, human nature. There you are looking at a schedule, and it says a task, and it's your task, start date, finish date, number of hours. Oh, this is wonderful. I can manage myself. Well, the truth of it is, most people, when they're under pressure, look at the schedule, they see a task they have to do, it may be a big, ugly task. Where do their eyes go on that schedule? Where they're going to start the task? No. It's when is it going to be finished by? Oh, I've got lots of time. I'm okay now. Yeah, the, these techniques that Jay described help to identify those issues. You help to manage your own time. It gives you communication with factual type data with your functional manager, which is much more productive than some nebulous uh, uh, opinion. And I'd like to uh, talk about uh, what Rod said earlier, and that is, is that when the project team is formed, it's really helpful for the project manager to have some understanding of the team members. And if the uh, project manager doesn't know the team members, to seek out information from other people who have worked with these folks uh, that are on the project manager's team, and here's why. Uh, if a person has a track record of delivering on time, and if they are experienced, then a task that is longer than three weeks is less worrisome than if a person has no track record, or if they have a bad track record and they haven't uh, had um, good luck in, de in delivering their task results according to what they said. In those cases, what we'd want to do is immediately go to lower levels of detail. When the person has a poor track record, or here's another case, uh, uh, during risk identification, you identify a risk that's connected to a task. If that task is three weeks long or longer, it's an automatic, almost automatic um, trigger to break the task into more detail. To protect people from themselves, really. Yes. If they're indeed. like me, and a, in a 21-day task, obviously I'm not going to start working until day 19. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Right. Yes, and, and by the way, that's not the light at the end of the tunnel. Is not the end of the tunnel. Right, right. It's the train <laughs> coming really the other way. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you again. Uh, illuminating discussion and, and helpful tips myself. So uh, we will uh, be continuing this uh, handy discussion on 19 techniques for managing people who do not report to you. On behalf of Jay Christensen and Rod Sharman, I'm Pete Wright. This has been Ask Cadence.